0: took his disciples they left the upper room and went toward the Mount of Olives they were singing a hymn as they went we don't know what it was it was some psalm in all likelihood that they were accustomed to they arrived at the Mount of Olives and went to a place with which they were very familiar it was a garden-like setting on the Mount ...called Gethsemane. And there Jesus asked his disciples to stop and rest with him and wait with him for a while... ...while he went ahead of them to pray. When he walked into that place, Gethsemane, to bow himself in prayer... ...he was walking into the place of the greatest agony of his life. He had never suffered as he was going to suffer in those coming moments... He had never endured anything like he was going to endure in those minutes that were ahead of him. But he went into the garden and bowed to pray. When he had prayed, he came back to speak to his disciples and found them asleep. He went back to pray again. The Bible says he went back three times to pray. Every time praying the same words there in that place of Gethsemane. The Bible doesn't anywhere call it a garden. But we've always referred to it as the Garden of Gethsemane. If you see it in Israel, depending on which of the two places, it doesn't matter. But they're both very much alike that are claimed to be this spot. But if you go into the what is, I believe, the Garden of Gethsemane, there, it's, it is a garden setting. It looks like a garden. It's set like one. It's planned like one. And you can see how the disciples were rested and, and he would have gone on further deeper into the garden to pray alone. So I'll refer to it as a Garden of Gethsemane, even though the Scripture doesn't say that. It's, it seems to me to be a garden-like setting when you see it. But it wasn't a garden experience. It was not a garden occasion. There was nothing there but dwelling on the great impact that sin has had on the world and the great impact that sin had to have someplace where God would put it to be judged so that we might have our sins already judged and we could have forgiveness by the grace of God that we've just been singing about and by the shedding of the blood of Jesus that we have just celebrated. So Jesus was the Lamb of God and he went into that garden to assume that mantle. He knew that this was coming, but he had no idea of the depth it was going to be until he got there. And his suffering began. Gethsemane. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 22. You can go and find the record of what happened in Gethsemane and all of those Gospels and those chapters that I just gave you. This is what it says in Matthew. Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. And he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will anoint the reading and the declaration of your word in a powerful way. I ask that the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be performed in every heart in this place. Deal with us, O God, as though we were in the Garden of Gethsemane. Deal with us, O God, as though we were facing the cross. Because in many respects we are. I ask, Father, that you will enlighten us and cause us to see your truth in your word. Make it brilliant within our hearts today so that we will follow you without missing a step in this walk that we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus in Gethsemane, he prayed in agony as he never had before. Jesus was accustomed to praying. There are many times that he went out from his disciples. And the Bible says he went apart into the wilderness. He went into the mountains to pray alone. Again and again. So it wasn't unusual for him to experience a prayer and to be alone while he was praying as he was in Gethsemane. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Most of us don't envision Jesus praying that way, but that's what the Bible says. He prayed with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Because the Father had all of the power and authority to change the plan and save Jesus from death. But he could not do that and fulfill the plan of salvation that he had laid out from the foundation of the world and ordained in the order of God's eternity. There had to be a sacrificial lamb. That's why all the lambs of the Old Testament were sacrificed. Hundreds of thousands of them over the period of years when that sacrificial practice was carried on. But every one of those lambs that was sacrificed was a picture, a sign, a symbol of the eternal Lamb of God who would one one day be sacrificed for sins once and for all, for all sins, so that all could be saved. They were symbols of that. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that. He came to understand that, to know that, as the Father and the Holy Spirit revealed it to him and and caused it to come to him in perfect understanding. So when he went into Gethsemane to pray, he knew what was facing him. He would already told his disciples numbers of times that he would be apprehended, arrested, cruelly treated, judged, beaten, handled, handled in a base way, by men who had no conscience and no soul. And yet his disciples didn't see it, didn't understand it. It was too, it was too great for them to, 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 to embrace. Too great for them, for them to receive. Until finally, in the last moments when it happened, they did see it and did were not ready for it. Jesus is now preparing himself for this sacrifice. As he comes into the garden, he prays to Father God, I know what this cup is. He refers to it as a cup, as something he must drink. And the bitter dregs of that cup, he already understands. He now knows. And he says to Father God, if it's possible, if it's possible for you to fulfill your plan, if it's possible for you to save the world, if it's possible for you to provide a gateway to heaven, if it's possible for you to allow men to enter into your presence, to live in your joy forever. If it's possible for you to do that without my having to drink this bitter cup of sacrifice, of death, of crucifixion, if you could do that without my having to drink this cup, Father, do it, let it be so, please. And then he said, nevertheless, in spite of it all, seeing and feeling and already experiencing the price that was paid that that is to be paid nevertheless not my will but your will be done I am willing to accept this load this burden that I must carry for the salvation of I mean, I'm willing to I would rather not but I'm willing to So he accepted it with this this word. I see it. I feel it. I begin to experience it. I know its bitterness. And now I cry out, if it's possible, change this. Nevertheless, and this is the word, nevertheless. Not my will, but your will be done in spite of all that is going to occur, in spite of all that I'm going to have to experience, in spite of all that I'm going to have to suffer, nevertheless, your will be done. And here's what Jesus was facing. He was going to become sin. Become sin. Not just know about it, understand it, not just talk about it, teach about it, plan about it. Jesus had to be sin. You see, when the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament was slain on the altar and the blood was shed that lamb was figuratively carrying the sins of the people when jesus died on the cross he had to become sin the one eternal worthy lamb who could pay this eternal price for salvation for mankind had to die on the cross to accomplish that so he had to he had he had to become sin And then that experience in Gethsemane, that experience started. It began to become very, very real to him that he had to become sin. Can you imagine the eternal Son of God who had enjoyed the presence of the Godhead since before the beginning of the world, who had shared the glory of Father God, who had basked in his presence, who had known all the fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead and the creation and the wholeness of God, came down to earth to become a man, born of a woman, so that he could be the perfect man and the total God, the only one who could meet the price of salvation on the cross, on the altar of sacrifice for our sins. What a, what a horrible experience it had to be for him to become sin, even to be touched by sin. This one who was perfect in every way now had to be made sin. In the eyes of Father God, he had to be sinned. And he sees all of this now coming upon him. It's a horrible thing to contemplate for him. And yet, he says, in spite of all of that, knowing the price as it becomes more and more real to me, knowing what's going to happen, knowing where I will be when I'm put on that cross, on the altar of God eternally for salvation for all, I would have it another way, Father God, if you can plan and if it's at your will. But no, not my will. You have your own will and your own plan. And I say, nevertheless, in spite of all of this suffering, nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done, Father God. A powerful place for him to come to. Because Jesus, you see, the Bible says, was perfect in every way. He knew no sin. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Not to carry our sins, not just hold our sins for us. He turned Him into sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. So that's why Jesus said, If it's possible, let me not have to be sin. The furthest thing from, nature, from my nature is and for my being and for my character for eternity. But it could not be another way. God had a plan set forth so that for all men to be saved, one sacred lamb chosen from the foundation of the world had to be sacrificed. And Jesus was that lamb. And so the time came when this happened and he came willingly to the place that he would accept this charge from God. He would accept this assignment from Father God. He would pay that price. That is what we today are totally grateful for now, but eternally grateful for as that sacrifice of Jesus Christ of Nazareth will take us into heaven on his name, by his merits, by his forgiveness, by the shedding of his blood. If you have any lack of understanding about this, Take the book of Hebrews and read it from beginning to end and then read it again. And after you've done that, read it another time. You'll see how that book proclaims the superiority of Christ in his sacrifice, beyond the sacrifices of all the Old Testament. You'll see how it proclaims the superiority of his covenant, which he established with the shedding of his blood when he fulfilled the Old Testament and established the New Testament, the Old Covenant, being abrogated, and the new covenant being fulfilled in Jesus, so that we live now with the privilege of coming to God, coming to His altar, coming to His throne, coming to Him not by our own merits, not by what we deserve, but because Jesus Christ shed His blood to open the door, open the gate for us to be able to walk into the very Holy of Holies, which is the residence of Father God. And there we can come to know Him, through Jesus Christ who made this possible by his sacrifice. So there we are, knowing what it means to pay a great price. We want to apply everything to our own lives, and I know we do. I I apply these kinds of things to my life. I cannot apply what Jesus experienced in Gethsemane to me. I, I could not fathom that, nor could I ever know the depth of it, nor can you, nor can anyone. But what I do know is this. He came to the place that regardless of what the burden was, regardless of what the price to be paid, he came to the place that he said, I want your will, not my will. All of this that he saw that he had to endure, he saw it, felt it, experienced it, knew it, and then said, if this cup cannot pass from me... Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's what we need to be able to say in our lives. Whatever we're dealing with, it will never be like Jesus met in Gethsemane. Whatever comes upon us, it will never be the burden that he carried. Whatever we have to experience, it will not come close to the loneliness, the separation, the desertion that Jesus felt. When he died on the cross, to the point that he had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the price of sin was being paid, exactly from him in his sacrifice. There was a man in the Bible named Job. The Bible says he was a good man, nearly a perfect man. Satan challenged his value before God. God allowed him, gave him permission to test to try Job. So Job lost everything. He lost his children, his sons and his daughters. He lost all of his possessions, his animals. He lost his lands. He lost everything. He was down to nothing. And then Satan came to God and spoke to him again and said, He still would he would deny you if he if you touched his body. So God gave him permission to attack him, but not to kill him. So Satan brought boils and infestations on the body of Job. To the point that Job's wife came to him and said, why don't you just get out of this? Why don't you just quit this? Instead of maintaining that God is good and God loves you, why don't you just curse God and die? Job said he would never do that. He never did. Through all the book of Job, his trust, his trials, he came to this point finally. One day, when his three friends, they were called his comforters, his friends, course, they challenged him and said he was wrong, he was sinning, and all, all this all all this, all this happened to him. Job said, it doesn't matter what happens to me. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter. I will trust God at all costs. And finally, one day he said, when they would challenge him on every turn, that God has deserted you, God has let you, turned you loose, God is not going to do anything for you. Job said, that all may be true, but Though he slay me, nevertheless, I will trust him. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I will not blame God for the tragedies that have come upon my life. I will not blame God for the loss. I will not blame God for the suffering. I will not blame God for my degradation. Instead, Even if I knew he were going to kill me, I would still trust him. That's the nevertheless you and I want to come to. That's the nevertheless we want to experience. That's the nevertheless we want to sit up in the morning and say before we get out of our bed. That's the nevertheless we want to say before we go to sleep at night. Nevertheless, nevertheless what this day holds nevertheless what this day has already happened nevertheless no matter what i will trust god because he's trustworthy i know there are times your time you you have had times in your life just like i have in mine there've been times i've wondered god where are you i believe you're here but i i, I don't feel you I believe it, but I don't know it. I'm not experiencing it. Where are you? And those are terrible times, my friends. I'm talking about serious times. I'm talking about deep, dark times. Those are terrible times. When you have to live it, but in your life, you're looking at circumstances and situations, and you say, God, where are you? Maybe you're facing the throes of death, and you say, God, where are you? Maybe you're dealing with something that's a tragedy in your life that you never thought was going to happen. You've been betrayed by the person in life closest to you. Betrayed by a family member. Betrayed by a loved one. And you say, God, have you deserted me? Why, why, why? Where are you, Lord? That's the time you have to say, in all of this, nevertheless, I know what God has said And I know what God is doing. And I know what God is going to do. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's never a time I'm not with you. Never a circumstance I'm not in with you. Never a situation I'm not involved in with you. to separate you from me if you trust me. My promise is I am with you always, even to the very end of this age. Forever I am with you. God said, Hebrews 13, 5, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even if you try to get away from me, I still won't leave you and I won't forsake you. I love the way the Amplified Version puts that. Let me read it to you. The Amplified Version says, He has said, I will never, under any circumstances, desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. Nor will I, in any degree, leave you helpless. Nor will I forsake you, or let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not, never will I. That's the Word of God. He is going to stand with you. You may have fallen to your knees. You may have crumpled into a lump on the ground. But that doesn't mean God has turned you loose. He's going to reach down to you. He's there with you, right beside you, dwelling with you. Reach down, take hold of you, and lift you up and hold on to you. Because he said he would never let you go. That's what he declared. That's what he promised. And that's what he's going to do. He'll never turn you loose. He'll never let you go. I'll put this in parenthetically. Some of you may wish he'd let you go. A few of you wished at times that he'd just turn you loose and leave you alone. Then you could just go out and forget about it. He won't do it. Don't even think it. he won't do it. When you're trying to pull away from him, he's holding on to you. You thought so many times you were holding on to him. The truth is, all that time he was holding on to you. (laughs) Because he says he'll always be with you. And he says he will never let you go. I I want to read this little poem. I was debating whether I would read it to you or not, but you've all read it. You've heard it. You've known it. You've seen it. It's all over the Internet. It's all over everywhere you go. You buy it in stores and buy a little piece of it, but but sometimes you just glance at it because you read it before and don't read it again. This This is the poem called Footprints in the Sand, and this is what it says. One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking across the beach, along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed some scenes from my life, For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, I love you, and I will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you said a footprint was mine I was carrying you that's the promise of God he will never leave us he will never forsake us and he will always give us his very best and his purpose and plan for us hallelujah hallelujah And and so now you're wondering well if that's true why hasn't God kept the promises he's made to me I feel like God has told me things that he hasn't done yet It's been a long time. I've waited and I've waited. Sometimes I've waited, I admit, with some doubt. But much of the time I've waited in prayer. I've cried out to God. I remember when you spoke. I remember when I heard your voice clear, perfectly, understandable. I remember when you told me. Well, you know he told you. I remember it, Lord. But it hasn't happened yet. Why, Lord? Why? When, Lord, when? And I cannot answer the why. I cannot answer the when. But I can give you this answer. No word spoken by God will ever fail. And even though you may be going through a time right now when you're wondering about it, you're reaching out trying to clutch the reality of its promise, trying to believe that it's going to be fulfilled, what you need to say is, even though I haven't seen it yet, even though time has passed, even though things have happened that might make me think it's not going to come to pass, even though I've wondered about it, even though I admit I've wavered, nevertheless, nevertheless, God keeps His Word. God never fails. Every word He's ever spoken to you... Psalm 89, verse 34 says, my covenant, in the words of God speaking to his people, my covenant, I will not break, nor alter, not even change in the slightest bit, one word that has come out of my mouth. The New Living Translation says, I will not take back one word I've ever said, and that's what it is. He will not take back anything that he said, whatever he's promised, he will stand by it and he will do it because God's word is dependable. God's word is verifiable. God's word will never change and all that he has said, he will do. Do you believe that? Yes.
1: Nevertheless,
0: in spite of it all, in spite of everything, in spite of everything that's happened and everything that's going to happen still, Nevertheless, I will stand on what God's Word says, and God's Word says He will never fail me. He will never break a promise. He will never take back one single word that He has spoken to me. So you can depend on His salvation. You can depend on heaven. You can depend on the rapture of Jesus taking back His bride. You can depend on the fulfillment of the Word of God to the eternity because God won't change one single word that He's ever said. You've got a reliable source. You've got a foundation to stand on. Nevertheless, look at all the world says that nevertheless, God is faithful and God is true. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, I come to you and say to you, Lord, that with all of my heart I hope I have delivered your word to your people. I feel this so sincerely and so strongly within myself that I don't know that I've been able to clearly communicate it to everybody here.
1: But I pray that any lack that I have had,
0: Lord, you will make up for in the enlightenment that your Holy Spirit brings. You will shine a light on every heart for every person at his own particular need right now to let them know that you are an all-sufficient God. You're just a too much God, more than we could ever, 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 ever receive are you offering us? And I pray that you'll make that real in every one of our hearts here this morning. Keep your heads bowed with me for a moment, please. I, I